dance friends, and welcome to the Dance Edit Podcast. I'm Margaret Fuhrer. And I'm Amy Brandt. We are editors at Dance Media, and in this week's episode, we will dive into the great West Side Story debate, the conversation about why the film's cultural footprint has been so large and whether it deserves to be, which is, of course, very timely given the Spielberg film's release this weekend. We will then talk about the practice of weighing dancers, which, yes, is still a thing somehow, and the harm that that can cause. And then on a lighter note, we'll discuss a recent poll suggesting that Dancing with the Stars fans actually don't want celebrities with prior dance experience to compete on the show, which I personally find fascinating. Um, Super quick housekeeping note before we get into all of that. There is an excellent new episode of the Dance Edit Extra out this Saturday, the 11th, on Apple Podcasts. I sat down with New York City Ballet Principal Megan Fairchild, who is one of the busiest people just possibly in the world right now. She not only recently gave birth to twins and returned to the stage after the pandemic shutdown, but she also has a brand new book. It just came out, which is all about taking care of your mental health in a high-pressure environment like dance. And Megan is very sharp and very knowledgeable and very funny, which made for a great interview. So I hope you can all tune in. You can subscribe to The Dance Edit Extra on Apple Podcasts, or you can find out a little more about it at thedanceedit.com slash podcast. All right, now it's time for the Dance Headline Rundown, beginning with yet more major lawsuit news. Yes, there is more disturbing news out of the University of North Carolina School of the Arts. 39 dancers have now joined a large lawsuit against the school alleging sexual abuse between 1969 and 2012. The suit spans multiple disciplines at the school, including their music department, but the dance program in particular stands out for the number of abuses that are alleged to have occurred there over the years. Uh, The suit not only names prominent UNCSA dance teachers, but also takes administrators to task for not doing enough to protect the students. Uh, Multiple faculty members are accused of grooming and initiating sexual relationships with students. It's it's really pretty disturbing and sickening to read the the suit. Mm -hmm. If you have a moment, I know Point Magazine recently uh, published an article by Kathleen McGuire Gaines that talks about grooming in the dance industry, particularly the ballet industry. She interviewed Sage Humphreys, who's one of the five plaintiffs accusing Dusty Button and her husband, Mitchell Taylor Button, of sexual abuse. And she uh, is really candid and offers her thoughts on how young dancers are super vulnerable to grooming and sexual abuse. Yeah. And Sage's quotes in that point story are are so powerful. The story itself is, is essential. I really hope you all can read it. We will link to that in the show notes, as well as to the Winston-Salem Journal story. Okay, sharp U-turn now. In much happier news, Tom Holland, aka Spider-Man, will play Fred Astaire in Sony's upcoming film about the dance icon. And this is delightful news for several reasons. One, because Holland is an excellent dancer. He actually started his career playing Billy Elliot on the West End. And his incredible choreographed umbrella mashup on Lip Sync Battle a few years ago, that is like still (laughs) reverberating across the internet. And like, yes, we know that was partly a Gene Kelly tribute. I don't think that disqualifies him from playing a stare. Um, The other kind of wonderful thing happening here is that this is not the only Fred Astaire film in the works. Amazon is also working on its own movie. And that one stars Jamie Bell, the original Billy Elliot in the film version as a stare. So Two Billies who grew up to play Fred. That's pretty great. That is so 
funny. And I can't wait to see both films. Yeah. The dancers of Ballet Idaho have voted to join the American Guild of Musical Artists, or AGMA. AGMA, as many of you know, is the labor union for dancers and opera singers, as well as their staging staff members. Negotiations for Ballet Idaho's first AGMA contract will commence after the new year. That's big news. Yeah. The West End production of Moulin Rouge has been forced to cancel several performances following a COVID outbreak in the company. The show has actually been dark since last Friday the 3rd, and as of recording time will remain dark through at least this Saturday the 11th. And I mean, Moulin Rouge has had such a tough go of it during the pandemic. We've talked before about how the Broadway production saw one of the very first COVID outbreaks back in March of 2020. Mm -hmm. It just like devastated that cast. Here's hoping everybody in the West End show recovers quickly. I know, me too. I was thinking about that last night when I was sitting in the theater during a Nutcracker performance. It was so wonderful to just be in a full theater. Everyone had their masks on, etc. But I did have that thought like, oh, I hope we can just keep this going. You know, I hope I hope nothing happens. So the threat still looms. Yeah. yeah. Hearing about stuff like yeah. this just makes me scared. Forbes magazine's annual 30 under 30 list includes a handful of dancers this year. And we always love it when dancers make mainstream news, I have to say. Mm -hmm. uh, 28-year-old American Ballet Theater principal Skylar Brandt is one of them, as well as 18-year-old Jojo Siwa, the Dance Moms alum, who uh, just wrapped up her stint on Dancing with the Stars. Um, and speaking of West Side Story, uh, Rachel Zegler, the 20-year-old Maria in the movie, was also named as well as members of the influencer collective Collab Crib, Kaylin Castle, Kamira Sykes, and Theo Wissa. So congratulations to all of them. Yeah, there are a ton of exciting artists on that whole list. We'll link to the whole thing in the show notes. The upcoming film version of Wicked is looking to cast a performer who uses a wheelchair in the role of Nessa Rose, who's Alphaba's younger sister, a character who uses a wheelchair. So a big thumbs up to that kind of casting. Yeah. And this is the film that, as previously announced, will star Cynthia Erivo as Alphaba and Ariana Grande as Glinda. So just excellent choices being made all around so far in that production. Yeah. And ending on a sad note, Native American ballerina Marjorie Tallchief has died at the age of 95. She was the first American ballerina to become an étoile with the Paris Opera Ballet in 1957. And before that, she danced with the original Ballet Russe. She was the younger sister of Maria Tallchief and the last surviving member of the Five Moons, the five Native American dancers from Oklahoma that include the Tallchief sisters, Yvonne Chouteau, Masculine Larkin, and Rosella Hightower. Yeah, end of an era. The Oklahoman obituary for Marjorie I think it started by saying the last of the five moons has set. Mm -hmm. it's just, oh, I saw that. All right. So time for our first discussion segment today. Over the past few years, there has been a ton of talking and thinking about why American culture remains so fascinated with West Side Story, um, prompted first by that recent Broadway revival and now by the Spielberg film adaptation. I mean, obviously, it's music and choreography and story are widely beloved. And yet, from the beginning, it has also been a source of deep discomfort because it's a musical written by four white men that underscores negative stereotypes about Puerto Ricans. So the New York Times ran a feature this week with five musical theater experts discussing why West Side Story still has such a grip on so many of us, and then how or if it should continue to exist on Broadway stages and movie screens. And the five experts had five very different perspectives. And yet, 
at various points, I found myself nodding along with each of them. Well, not quite everyone, but with most of them. Yeah, you know, I mean, for myself, the draw to West Side Story has always been Bernstein's music and Robin's choreography. Like, that's always just sort of been, for me, the strongest pull, more so even than the the story. Mm -hmm. But it's funny, because about 10 years ago, I remember seeing the 1961 film at at a movie theater, and kind of seeing it after not seeing it for a really long time, and kind of feeling a bit uncomfortable, like with you know, seeing the white actors in the dark makeup with their bad Spanish accents. And mm-hmm. it just felt very dated. And a friend of mine who came with me, who's South American, at various times, I she was sort of rolling her eyes or kind of snickering. And um, mm-hmm. I could tell she thought it was ridiculous. But this article kind of uh, lays out various different opinions as to what makes it problematic. Yeah. So one of the, the five panelists in this article is Karina Dovalishorsky, the writer who last year in February of 2020, just before the musical revival, the Broadway revival opened, wrote this great op-ed about what it feels like to watch the musical as a Puerto Rican today. She is Puerto Rican. And she said it just felt exhausting that this is still the like leading representation of Latin American culture in American musical theater. Um, we'll link to that story too, because that perspective is so important. Um, I think there's also this weird tension that comes from the fact that Jesse Green, the critic notes this in the New York Times story, this musical was an idea looking for an ethnicity is the mm-hmm. way he put it. I mean, yeah. originally it was, it was not going to be Puerto Ricans versus whites. It was going to be East side story about Jews versus Catholics and the fact that the creative team decided to move it to the West Side and change the whole narrative because that conflict had more of a quote-unquote news hook to it mm-hmm. rather than because they had any real interest in the stories of Puerto Ricans. That's a deep-seated problem that we need to address. We need to unpack whenever we put on this production. Right. And Karina in the in this- article even says like the music the musical itself might as well be about dominicans it's that general like Mm -hmm. i got the sense that that you know they're represented in the musical it offers work it offers roles to latinx performers but yet they're still unable to see themselves or their cultures in the piece itself yeah lin-manuel miranda's whole thing about oh it's a blessing and a curse yeah um I mean, so I guess the question is, is like, what do we do? Should we let this musical go to make room for more and different and more nuanced explorations of what it means to be Latin American? Should we keep it in some form for the value of its music and its choreographic legacy, but then openly acknowledge its flaws, try to update it in ways that acknowledge them? I mean, there's also the idea of engaging with the musical by kind of deconstructing it by making new work inspired by the original or by artists reactions to that original um like matthew lopez the playwright another one of the panelists in this article he wrote a play called somewhere that was a deconstruction of west side story Mm. but you know it's not a single person in the story said we should fully erase west side full stop right like it seems like they're there was this a consensus that there's enough genius in the music and the dance and the lyrics. Obviously, we on this podcast are partial to the dance in particular, but it mm-hmm. seems like there's enough there to convince even the most vocal critics that it shouldn't be thrown away. But like, do we have to devote millions upon millions of dollars to 
propping up its relevance at every turn? Do we have to keep positioning it as like the leading musical representation of Latin American culture? Mm. Probably not. Yeah. But Amy, you've actually already seen the new film version. I have. I did. I did. I watched, I saw a preview of the film, uh, the Spielberg film last week and um, I really liked it. I really, I loved it. You know, I did feel that the Puerto Rican characters were more fully fleshed out um, I say that as a white person, of course, you know, um, I also find found the performances, Ariana DeBose, amazing. I mean, mm. incredible. Give her an Oscar. Uh, Rita Moreno. Rachel Give her Zegler. an Oscar I mean, too. Just, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, David Alvarez, like they, they were all so strong in the film that their performances were incredible. I mean, it's like almost a little more memorable to me was, was that side of the story. So We'll see. I mean, I think one of the critics in this New York Times article said, I want the new movie to succeed if it's good, but if only white people are moved, it will be a failure. So, you know, we'll see. Right. Yeah. Obviously, we've linked to that New York Times story in the show notes. By the way, that has more than 1,200 comments on it. People are very invested in this debate. So go add your voice. All right. Next up today, we have another perennially controversial topic, although it concerns a very different side of dance culture. Dance Magazine posted an op-ed last week by Kathleen McGuire. Kathleen McGuire, who's everywhere this week. Mm -hmm. She's the founder of the mental health organization Minding the Gap, and she talked about why we need to stop weighing dancers. And I have to confess that my initial response, and based on the comments on social media, this was true of many people, my initial response was, are we really still doing that? And yes, unfortunately, we are. Some of us are. So Kathleen's piece does an excellent job laying out exactly why that practice is so harmful to dancers' mental health. I have to say, Margaret, I was I reacted the same way. I was a little bit surprised. I thought, oh, gosh, this is still a practice. When I was growing up in the 90s, you know, it was still a – you know, I, it was kind of I, – mm-hmm. I somehow escaped weigh-ins. The schools that I went to, we we didn't have those, um, but plenty of my friends had to experience those at summer programs, even you know, or in mm-hmm. in their um, pre professional training, and it really affected them. You know, it really gave them a lot of anxiety. Uh, some of them developed eating disorders. You know, I don't know if it was pr- specifically from experiencing weigh ins or whatnot, but I just. You know, it was very problematic, and and the whole Heidi Gunther mm-hmm. when she died, um, that's kind of right when I was making that transition from student to professional and everything, and I felt like that was sort of a turning point where the conversation started to change a little bit. Mm-hmm. So yes, when Kathleen told me she was writing this op-ed, I was like, oh wow, but like schools are still doing that even today. In this context, it seemed to be more about screening for potential eating disorders than kind of managing your weight as a to be part of your program. But even so, yeah, like she's there's some key things that she says in the story. One is that your weight is private medical information. Mm -hmm. And the other is that an eating disorder should be prescribed by mental health professional, not your dance teacher, which is something I feel like, Mm -hmm. of course, like, of course, but it, yeah. this is something that like the dance yeah. community has never considered. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, because the art form is all about the body and therefore the body is part of the deal here. We do, you know, we monitor your body that mm-hmm. way. You know, the dance, dance leadership taking on this role of, of doctor and mental health expert. Um, I remember once for my advice column, someone wrote in 
to me to say, you know, I was recently asked to explain my mental health history on an audition form. <gasps> and our director is allowed to ask me that. They wanted to know if I had, you know, and again, it was under, you know, do you have a history of eating disorders, et cetera? And that's against the law. Like, it's against the that law. That actually made me gasp out loud. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I'm like, you know, I think my response was like, your director either doesn't have a, a firm understanding of employment law <laughs> or they assume mm -hmm. you're too young yourself to have a firm understanding of employment law and are just kind of disregarding it um but yeah there 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 is sort of these blurred lines between what's professionally appropriate to ask and i mean i remember on audition forms i often had to put my weight down yeah i remember that too but yeah i think there's something very insidious about the idea that we're weighing you because we're worried about your health i mean especially because weight isn't always an indication of right. health a person doesn't have to be super thin to be suffering from a serious eating disorder and yeah as you're saying weight is private medical information. You can decline to be weighed at your doctor's mm -hmm. office, and yet we're expecting dancers to do it in front of non-medical professionals without objecting. It's it's really strange. Um, I don't think we need to do a whole lot to convince this audience, this podcast audience, that the dance world has to stop saying or implying that weight is a measure of a dancer's value. But I think Kathleen sort of summed it up best at the end of her article. She said... There is no height to weight chart that exists that is a true measure of your fitness as a human or a dancer. Mm -hmm. And that's really it. Please do read the whole story if you can. So last up today, if you thought that maybe we'd stop talking about Dancing with the Stars for a minute now that season 30 is done, you thought wrong, friends. Uh, the website <laughs> Heavy recently asked Dancing with the Stars fans to talk about the types of celebrities they'd like to see on the hypothetical next season of the show. It is still technically hypothetical, although a renewal does feel inevitable. And I mean, full disclosure, this was a very informal poll. It was really just a string of comments on a Facebook post that Heavy then spun into an article. But still, it's kind of crazy the number of people who were very vocal about not wanting celebrities with dance experience in the ballroom, which I think is exactly the opposite of the way most of us dance people feel. And is especially unexpected given the pretty extraordinary routines that came out of this past season, which featured several stars with dance training. So, I mean, what does this say about like what people are looking for from Dancing with the Stars? Yeah, it's kind of a double-edged sword because it's like if you have contestants with no dance experience and you're really dealing with people who are super beginners and, and the kind of routines you're going to get are going to be pretty simple, I would think. But at the same time, mm -hmm. I do kind of understand and I've always kind of felt like, oh, maybe it's a little unfair to have contestants who are obvious dancers or have dance training or even or are in similar industries like ice skaters or gymnasts, you know, where coordination is very much a big part of their their profession, um, along with like insanely competitive work ethics. You know, like I've always kind of thought that that mm -hmm. was a touch unfair and and maybe these vocal social media commenters are more interested in in seeing someone who has to really figure it out who has to go on a journey maybe mm -hmm. they really enjoy watching famous people look foolish <laughs> i don't know <laughs> you know or you know maybe they just think it's more exciting to see someone who really does not have dance experience have to you know put themselves out there like this i don't know i kind of understand it 
I mean, Amy, I think you're exactly right. I think those are the two threads of like criticism about featuring celebrities with dance experience. The first one being that, oh, it's unfair. Mm-hmm. It's an unfair advantage. To which I would say, I'm sorry, is fairness the real reason any of us watch Dancing with the Stars? Are we in it for like the competitive rigor of this right. premise? No, come on, right. no way. But then the other argument is, yeah, like, do we, is part of the appeal here really watching the like transformative arc mm-hmm. of a competitor and see them go from really not knowing much at all to becoming a better and better dancer? Like, of course, there's there's an appeal yeah. to that. Um, but like, you're going to have some of that on every season anyway. That's never not going to be a part of the show. So my whole thing here is what what, what do people have against seeing really good dancing on TV? Why <laughs> wouldn't you want to watch celebrities who at least kind of know what they're doing out there? Like, isn't there a thrill in that too? And I, th- I think especially because often these are people that we have collectively forgotten are good dancers. Mm-hmm. Like, I think my favorite season ever was Alfonso Ribeiro's season mm-hmm. because everybody <laughs> remembered him doing the Carlton, like whatever, fine. But not many people remembered that he was on Broadway in the tap dance kid and he was in that Pepsi commercial with the Jackson five. Right. And then he came out there and just killed it every week. And we were all like, Oh my gosh, right. Uh-huh. He's really good yeah. at this. And that was also thrilling. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, my piping hot take is, Hey, you're wrong. Facebook moms of America get as many celebrities <laughs> a dance experience on there as possible. Oh man, I'm going to get myself in trouble. Okay. Before I do, that's it for this week. <laughs> Thanks everyone for joining us. We'll be back next week for more discussion of the news that's moving the dance world. Keep learning, keep advocating and keep dancing. Bye everybody. The Dance Edit Podcast is a product of Dance Media, publisher of Dance Magazine, Dance Spirit, Point, Dance Teacher, Dance Business Weekly, and the Dance Edit Newsletter. Our hosts are Amy Brandt, Courtney Escoin, Margaret Fuhrer, and Lydia Murray. Our music is by Celestine, with special thanks to Broadway Dance Center for helping us record those footfall sounds. Find out more about The Dance Edit and subscribe to our daily newsletter at thedanceedit.com. Thank you.